Happy 2024. How's everyone doing this morning? December 29th, 2023. I'm driving down the road and it's when I saw my first Christmas tree in a bag on the curb. And I was reminded of something. Christmas is over, according to the world. But just as we say on Easter and after Easter, the Sunday after Easter, Jesus is just as much alive as he was the week before. In the week after Christmas and the second week after Christmas, though we remember his birth, let's not forget that that baby did grow up. We don't just celebrate a birthday for a moment. We celebrate a world that's changed because he came to change our world. This morning, we are going to take a pause and we're going to step back. We're not in a series today. Um, If you were here during our announcements, you heard the announcement that we are getting ready to kick off a fifth, or sorry, a 14-day window of prayer and fasting. That's not going to happen this week. It's going to happen a week from tomorrow. So on the 15th of January, we're going to begin 20, I'm sorry, 14 days of prayer and fasting from the 15th through the 28th, I believe. And uh, yes, 15th through the 28th. You might be thinking in your mind, why are we doing it differently? Because every year we do 21 days. Well, I promise you it has nothing to do with the fact that we just don't want to do it for 21 days. Okay? I actually have some people that have said, like, it's so long. I'm like, well, it is. But let me just be honest about this when I tell you something. One, we're not actually doing it less this year. We're doing 14 days in January, and we're going to revisit seven days in September as our kids all go back to school. So we're still doing 21 days. But here's what I want you to hear. Why do we do 21 days of prayer and fasting anyway? Because there's a passage in the book of Daniel that gives an example of a man named Daniel who fasted for 21 days. And after the 21-day window, the Lord answered him because there were things going on in the heavenly realm and the spiritual realm they didn't understand. It was a 21-day window. So now churches say, let's fast for 21 days. Is it wrong? Of course not. Is it good? Sure. Do you have to fast for 21 days? No. We are going to do 14 days this year in January, and then we'll do another seven in September. And it has nothing to do with the getting the right number. Because if we were going to pick more times in Scripture where fasting was talked about in numbers, we would do a 40-day fast. Because you see that across Scripture much more common than you hear of a 21-day fast. The point of a fast is what I'm going to talk about this morning. And I hope as we walk through this, for some of you it's going to be old hat. You're going to heard this heard this before. You may have said, we've talked about this, I'm familiar with fasting. Maybe you practice prayer and fasting on a regular basis. And maybe for some of you, you're saying, okay, it's buckle up, it's no eating time, which is kind of good because Christmas is gone, but I'm not really looking forward to this. What are you going to tell me about it so I can just kind of hold my breath? Um, I hope that's not where you are. But I do want to talk about why we do this, because like I said earlier, Christianity is not about just reading the Bible, and it's not not just about speaking Scripture or teaching Scripture. It's about having a real-life encounter with a real-life God. Here's what I'd like you to understand before we get into the logistics of this, and I have it for you up on the slides. Throughout the Bible, God's people regularly took time to pray and fast in order to grow closer to him and experience breakthroughs in specific areas. You want to know why we're going to talk about prayer and fasting this morning? It's not because I want to talk about it. It's not because we talked about it as leadership and say this would be a good thing to talk about. No, we talk about it because it's one of the regular thematic rhythms the people in the Bible 
Old Testament and New Testament practiced in order to grow closer to God and experience breakthroughs, in many cases, spiritual breakthroughs in specific areas. That's why we talk about prayer and fasting. There are things that cannot be broken or will not be broken unless people come to God with a heart of prayer and fasting. Jesus talks about that in the Gospel of Mark, but that's just an understanding of why we do this. So my, my challenge to you is, in the month of January, we talk a lot about retooling ourselves. The culture around us speaks about this very commonly. In fact, after they tell us for two months everything we need to buy and everything we need to eat, then in January they tell us everything we get rid of or we need to organize, or we need, and that doesn't include just stuff. It includes stuff, if you know what I'm talking about. It's everything. It's all the stuff that we buy, and it's all the stuff that accumulates on our bodies. That They say January is the time to clean house and start over and get things straight, and maybe you have to do some goal setting, or maybe you need to talk about healthier uh, models, mental models. Maybe you need to have different physical traits and different physical patterns in your life. Well, the spiritual applies as well. So my challenge to you is this. If you want to deepen your relationship with God, and if you want to see him move supernaturally in a specific area, will you make time in January to join us as we pray and as we fast? Not just individually, but as a church. Will you make time to do that? I want to challenge you to really take this seriously, and I want to walk this through with you to understand why we do it and the significance you see all through Scripture and some basic steps on how. So there's a verse in Mark chapter 1, Mark 1, verse 3, and John the Baptist is saying this as he sees the arrival of Jesus, and it says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. If you're not quite sure why fasting and prayer is so important, especially fasting, think about it through the lens of this verse this morning, that we prepare the way for God when we begin the habits and the disciplines of prayer and fasting. You're tilling the soil. You're blazing new trails. You're the the bulldozer that's pushing all the junk out of the way and creating a path so that you can connect in a deeper relationship with God and God can connect in a deeper relationship with you. That's why we do this. It means removing the boundaries in our lives. When we prepare the way for the Lord, we remove the boundaries in our lives. We remove the obstacles We remove the obstructions between us having a deeper, um, to keep us from having a deeper, more more deeper relationship or a genuine relationship with God. Now, a few years ago here at Bridge, I gave a message and I called it Prepare a Place for God to Move. Some of you may have been here for that. Some of you may not. I would be surprised if any of you remember it at this point because it was a number of years ago. But the whole concept of that message was get ready prepare a place for God to move. It was a call for followers of Christ when I spoke about it to consider what needs to change so that we could make our life more prepared for what God was getting ready to do in our lives. It was at the beginning of the year. It was for God that he would give freedom to us, that he would give us, we would give him more space to work in our lives. And that preparation would be intentional because God wants to do something in our lives. And I was intentional when I spoke about it. And I said, as a church, we need to prepare a place for God to move because God wants to do something new in 2020. Now you can say, well, every year that could be something different. And that's true. But as we look back, we recognize that that message was kind of a preview of what God got ready to do. And just a few months after that, the whole world seemed to fall apart. 
So our preparation in January had a lot of impact on how the rest of our year was going to look like. And if we did not prepare, we could fall. And if we did prepare, we could stand. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about preparation, and I want to talk to you about the difference between people who prepare versus people who don't prepare, and what that could look like in the world of prayer and fasting. And when I spoke about this message four years ago, I used this picture that I took right around from my neighborhood. I go for walks periodically around my block. It's a half mile exactly around my block one time, and there are these two lawns that we go by. And this is not an exaggeration. Actually, this is probably nicer than it usually looks, but there's one house at the corner of our street that looks like the one in the distance, and then there's one that you pass that's closer in this picture, and as you can tell, one of the homeowners does a great job at caring for their lawn, and the other one, not so much. Usually, the one that's closer is a lot worse than that, and if you do any dog walking, we do a good job to try to keep the dog right down the middle because the grass sometimes can get as high as like knee-high on that one on that one lawn. But the other one is so well manicured. And when I was walking down that road four years ago, I remember stopping at that point and taking a picture of this. And I felt like it was a word picture that God talked to me about. And he said, both of them are grass. Both of them are yards. Both of them have a purpose. One of them is more effective. One is more healthy. One can grow stronger. One has a better root system. Why? preparation, intentionality, and care. So I tell you this morning, there's a whole lot of people in this world that claim Jesus as their Savior. Not all of them are as healthy as they could be. Not all of us are as strong as we could be. Not all of us have a root system that's as good as those that may be around us. And our goal is not to compare ourselves to anyone else. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. My challenge that I feel like God continues to remind me and that I want to share with you this morning is that we have an opportunity as we walk in this world for as long as we're breathing, for our roots to get stronger, for our care to be more intentional, and for the fruit of our labors and our relationship with God to be more abundant than it was the day before. We always have that opportunity. Which side of the fence, figure of speech, would you want to be on? As we focus on prayer and fasting in 2024, I believe in our preparation, God can bring us from where we are maybe today, in some of our cases, to where he wants to be, where he wants us to be looking ahead. But we need to experience spiritual health to do that, and that's through preparation, which experiences time, requires time and intentionality, not just routine. So our goal this year is to encourage a rhythm of prayer and fasting. Maybe you've heard me say this before, and I don't want to change on that. There's a big push many times to say, this is the month we're going to do this, and then we don't talk about it for the rest of the year. Well, no, God doesn't want us to just do something momentarily. He wants us to build this rhythm. And what you're going to see in Scripture is that this is a regular rhythm that happened all the time. So this morning, we're going to look at four simple questions, and I'm going to give a a basic teaching on it, and it's just a starting point. We can give you resources. We'll send out some links for you this week if you want to do a little more research. And then you have this whole next week to reflect on what you want to do in this journey and what you think the Lord's asking you to do and the reason behind why he wants you to do it. So we're going to look at four questions this morning. The first is, what is biblical fasting? We're going to ask the simple question, what is biblical fasting? Number two, who should fast? Number three, why should we fast? And finally, we will look at how should we fast? 
So, number one, what is biblical fasting? The definition of biblical fasting is to deliberately abstain from food for spiritual purposes. I specifically said, because the Bible shows us, true biblical fasting is about deliberately abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. Now, it doesn't say that you abstain from food, and that's the end. It says, no, there's a purpose from why you abstain from food. And it doesn't say you abstain from other things. It says you abstain from food. The biblical definition of biblical fasting is that we go without eating for a time, specifically for spiritual purposes. I'll say it this way. It is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to demonstrate our need for God and our total dependence on him. When we fast biblically and we choose to give up our food or our meal for a period of time or whatever that looks like, it is an opportunity that we've been given that we participate in to demonstrate our need for God and our total dependence on him. Now, I want to be clear when I say this because there are different kinds of fasts across the Bible. You can hear the Daniel fast that people talk about. There are different definitions of these fasts. You could have a restricted fast or a special fast. Some people do a soul fast, and that's just a a common way of saying that you give up certain things that maybe you cannot go without eating because you have a medical condition or you have a specific ailment that says you're not allowed to go without food. In those situations, you can change what you eat, or you can do a soul fast where you give up something that's not physically food, but maybe it's a habit or a hobby that you let go of for a season and you use that time for spiritual purposes. And that's the most important time thing we talk about. Whether or not you're going without food or you're going without a hobby or an interest, are you replacing that time and making time with God? Because a real biblical fast is not a hunger strike. We cannot have a sit-in on the gates of heaven and expect God to move if we just sit there and expect him to move while we don't eat. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't do that. He's not impressed. In fact, and I can promise you this, he can wait you out longer than you can wait him out. Don't even try it. It doesn't work. Well, God, I'm going to go. And he's like, you know, I kind of created everything. I can kind of go a whole lot longer than you can. Kind of silly, but it's actually true. Sometimes people think, well, if I go without eating for a long enough time, then God has to respond to me. And I go, that's not the way that it works. Biblical fasting is an opportunity to demonstrate our need for God and our total dependence on him. So I say this to you this morning, if you're in a place where you can eliminate a portion of eating over the next 14 days, well, when we start next month, next Monday, you figure out what that would look like. You put your plan together and say what it would look like. Stop eating during that time and replace that time with God. Use that time in prayer. Use that time in worship. Use that time in journaling. Use that time in some way where you're saying, instead of giving this specific time for this, I'm going to give my time for this instead. And that's important because what it's really saying is, I am more hungry for God than I am for the physical things of this world. Now, if you're here this morning, like I said, and you are unable to go without eating, I want to encourage you to let go of the thing that you can let go of and still replace that time with God. You know, we live in a world now that looks nothing like the world that I grew up in. There was a time, some of you younger people may not actually know this, there was a time where when you had a television show, you had to wait seven days until the next episode actually was available. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? Right? Some of you are like, yeah, I know. And some of you are going, seriously? You had to wait seven days. And if the season was over, 
You had to wait till the next year. Do you believe that? Like, this is nuts. In the world that we live in right now, that doesn't even make sense, right? Because when you stream your TV services, you don't just watch something in bite sizes. What do you do? You what? You you binge. That's right. Everyone knows. You binge watch things. So you can watch a whole season of something in the course of a day or two or three, depending on how much time that you want to waste. And you can do that. You can binge So what I can tell you is that is if you're at a place where you're saying, you know what, I can't let go of these kinds of things, but there are some things that I'm binging. Let me just challenge you over the 14 days of prayer and fasting. Binge on God. Binge on God and see what happens. Because one thing I can tell you, and I've been guilty of this as too, you know, episode after episode after episode, after the first one or two, it kind of feels like, well, that's okay. When you get to like the fourth or the fifth episode of something, your brain starts getting fuzzy and your mind starts getting all messed up. And can I tell you, if you're eating that much physically, how tempted would you be when you walked into a grocery store to buy anything? If we are full to the gills and overflowing with whatever we're consuming, Why would we want to eat anything more? Can I say the same thing applies spiritually? If we fill ourselves with everything else in this world that we just feel completely full, where is there space for God to fill us? That's why it's so important to look at this as an opportunity and not an obligation. So if it means something to you, it means something to God. That's what true biblical fasting is. You can participate regardless of your health situation, even if it means doing a soul fast and fasting something that is more of a hobby. As long as you replace that time with God, you will demonstrate an opportunity for God to move. Number two, who should fast? Every follower of Jesus Christ should be fasting. Every pursuer of God. All the disciples of Jesus should fast. If you're a follower of Jesus, fasting is for you. You may not like to hear that, or maybe that's the first time you've heard that. It's not a ministry that somebody has. Like this person has the gift of music, and this person has the gift of mercy, and that person has the gift of fasting. No, it doesn't work that way. All of us should be walking in a mindset and a practice of a discipline of prayer and fasting. It just looks different for different people. Why do we do that? Because fasting is one of the most significant ways that we grow closer to God. It is really important for you and I to understand that, that when you fast and when I fast, God doesn't just come closer to us. We come closer to him. God is not one who wants to hold hold us at bay. He's not looking to distance himself from us. He's not looking to erect walls between you and us. When we choose to fast, we break down the walls. When we choose to pray and seek him in a discipline of fasting, we shut down the walls. We close off the distractions. And what we're doing is we're tuning our 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 spiritual frequencies or radios, if you will, to the frequency of listening for the voice of God and not the voice of everything else. He comes closer to us because we are looking for him in that moment. So every one of us should be fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said a couple things to his people and to the the followers of God. He said in verse 2, so when you give to the needy, it's an expectation when you give. And then he says, here's how you should give. In verse 6, he says, and when you pray. And then he gives instruction on how you should pray and what prayer should look like. And then in verse 16, he says, and when you fast. None of these things were optional. They were all assumed that this is what followers of God would do because there's significance in a heart of generosity. There's a significance in a mindset that wants to seek intentional prayer and conversation with God. And there's a mindset of someone who specifically fasts saying, my hunger for knowing more of you exceeds my hunger for the world. These are the three things that Jesus assumes. So we know what biblical fasting is. We know who should fast. And the next question is, well, why should we fast? You heard me say this before. 
It's for spiritual purposes. But there's three things I want to mention this morning about what you can receive in your fasting and why you should fast as you pursue God. Number one is wisdom. Wisdom to know God and to know his will. If you are looking for wisdom and you are stuck, 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 and you do not know what the next step looks like in your life, big circumstance, little circumstance, and maybe it's not a circumstance at all, maybe it's just a life plan that you're saying, I just want wisdom as I walk. An attitude of fasting brings wisdom to those who lack it. You see it all through scripture. It is, I should say, it is a reason that we fast. The number one reason is to have the deeper relationship with God. Fasting lets your flesh know that your hunger for God is greater than your hunger for food. And by fasting, we let our flesh know that sin and temptation are in submission to the power of God. Think about that just for a moment. That sin and temptation are in the submission to the power of God and therefore our hunger for God. In 2 Chronicles 20, verses 2 through 4, there's a story of the nation of Israel that were led by Jehoshaphat at this point. And King Jehoshaphat heard the bad news that they were getting ready um, to be attacked by Moab and some of their enemies. And they were without wisdom, and they had no idea of what to do. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see what King Jehoshaphat actually encouraged the people. Look what he said in verse 2. He said, Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. What was the purpose of this fast, church? Wisdom, to inquire of the Lord. Some people came. They said, this is happening. A problem is on our doorstep. We do not know what to do. And if you fast forward, which we won't go there this morning, but if you fast forward to this, I love how Jehoshaphat actually hears from the Lord, gets instruction from the Lord, wisdom from the Lord, which makes no sense to us whatsoever. He basically gives instruction to say, organize the people and put all the praisers and the worshipers in the front of the line and worship me as you walk. And Jehoshaphat's response to all this was beautiful. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all of that came from their time of inquiring of the Lord. Can I ask you this morning, are you struggling for wisdom in some area of your life? Are you looking for discernment? If you're looking for the Lord to say something specifically to you, whether about it's a specific situation, or maybe you're just young in your walk and you're saying, I'm just confused. You know how many times I hear people say over the years, especially young people, I just need to know what my purpose is in life. And sometimes they have misunderstood that, that that they're just waiting for God to drop this specific thing they must do in their lives. And instead of just taking steps and walking out, they get stuck and they become paralyzed. What I want to encourage you to do over the next couple of weeks, regardless of where you are, for that one thing you're looking for, if you're just looking for a larger wisdom and discernment from the Lord, take some time and seek the Lord as you pray and fast. And what you will see is that he gives wisdom to those who act and fast towards him. Remember what I said earlier. I said fasting doesn't move God closer to us. It moves us closer to God. When we choose wisdom over the world, God imparts it to us, not because he was withholding it from us, but because now we're able to receive it. It's like our hands are open in that time as opposed to our hands being closed. There's a lot of examples in scripture about this. Moses, Jesus, the apostle Paul, 
We just talked about Jehoshaphat in Nineveh. Nineveh was a beautiful example of that, where they inquired before the battle. I'm sorry, where they, they sought forgiveness for their sinful actions, and they created a fast. These were people that weren't even followers of God, but they honored the words of the prophet of God. And God responded to them because they humbled themselves and they fasted and he brought wisdom to a place that was not wise. In the Old Testament, some of you know the story of Esther. For such a time as this, she was called to a place before she ever stood in before the king and asked for what she asked for. They declared a fast across the nation of Israel so that God would bring wisdom to know what she should do and how she should do it. The apostles of Jesus in Acts chapter 6, when you see after Jesus was gone and ascended and Judas Iscariot was the, betray, was the betrayer and he died and took his own life, they had to replace him. What did they do? They prayed. They fasted. They sought the wisdom of God. Even if we, ref- we look back historically over what we've done as a church, You know, I've heard people say interesting things sometimes about some of the decisions that people make in the church because outside of the church, there's a lot of politics that go on in the larger world around us. We would agree with that, right? And sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know. Sometimes it's hidden agendas. Sometimes it has a lot of these foundational things that have nothing to do with following what God's wisdom is. But I can think of many times over the course of the years that Bridge has been around where we didn't know what to do. Before we were Bridge, we didn't even know what to do. And we humbled ourselves and we prayed. Every week we had a weekly prayer meeting. And we fasted and we sought the will of God. And he brought things together that we never would have been able to do in our own way. And he made things happen that we could never have done in our own strength. And he put two churches together. And then there were four different churches that that shut down because of what we did. And we were able to use the resources from those churches to bless other churches or encourage other churches to take over those spaces. And these things happened over the course of the last number of years. And just because we weren't at the forefront of what was happening on uh, on the change, we were actually behind the scenes allowing some of those things to happen. And God used wisdom through that account. I think about one of the silliest things that I look back, and I never want to give... I never want to associate, um, it sounds kind of crazy, but I don't want to just necessarily give credit to the Lord for taking money from insurance companies. Um, but, but, remember years ago, we had this church that was offered to us many years ago in Chalfont, this little church. And the pastor was retiring, and I knew him for many years, and he gave us a call, and he told us what was getting ready to happen, and he was retiring, and he wanted to give us the facility, and we went to our district leadership, and we talked to him about it. And some of you were here, and you may have remembered that. And you remember that he came to me and he said, I'm going to hand over the paperwork to you. And I'm like, what are we going to do with this little building in Chalfont? You know, we're, we're not going to have a church over there. And it was an interesting kind of a situation, kind of a unique thing. And the day he came over here to drop all the paperwork off, he told me that there was a man who had a Spanish church that used to rent from him. And they left the area for about a, two years, I guess it was maybe. And he came to him the day he was coming to me. And he said, we need to find another place to meet again. Can we rent this building back from you? And he says, well, you have to go talk to Pastor Paul at Bridge Church because they're officially going to own the building after today. So he came to us and we had a conversation and we talked it out. And I remember over the course of the three years, that building needed so much work. It was in disrepair in many different ways. And I remember as we prayed through it as church leadership and and elders and the board board members, and we talked about it and said, what are we supposed to do with this? We drafted and put together a a lease agreement, which was a lease-to-own agreement. And after three years, they'd be able to take the balance of that, and they'd be able to just pay it off or mortgage it if they wanted to. We gave them an interest rate for the first year, and then it was interest-free for two years after that. And I remember that there were people across our church at that point that were loving that idea, and then there were a couple real critical people about it. 
that's not right. You should just give it to them. And I said, I can't listen to you. We got to do what we think God's telling us to do. And this is the right thing to do. Well, a year into that process, in the middle of the winter, the heating system blew up in that building. Some of you might remember that, and I got a call, and there were 10 or 12 different big heating systems in this old building where radiators, those ginormous things, and they blew up and left a mess all over the place. Long story short, it was over $45,000 worth of damage and repair work that had to be done. And because we still owned the property, and it was on our insurance bill, we had to pay $500 deductible, and they replaced the whole thing for that church. And we paid $500. Now, again, I'm not saying glory to God. He's made our insurance company pay $45,000. But I look at it and go, God used us as a church in a simple situation that didn't necessarily make sense to some to bless another church. Today, that church is thriving and still meets in that building. And they own it. It's kind of cool, isn't it? It's kind of cool. And that's a simple story. I could tell you lots of different stories. I just thought that was an important one to share because it doesn't have anything to do with us today. It has everything to do with in the midst of seeking wisdom how God works in the midst of our humility to seek him for wisdom. What else happens? Why should we fast? Not just for intervention. I'm sorry, not just for, um, not just for wisdom, but also number two for intervention. Intervention or breakthrough to demonstrate our need for God. We need to demonstrate a need for God. When we are intervening on our own behalf, we can only do what we can do. But when we go to God... We say to God, I'll do what I'll do, but you have to do only what you can do. And prayer and fasting is a way that we can humbly come and demonstrate our need for him to move on our behalf, not ourselves. Intervention demonstrates our need for God. You see this all through scriptures. Israel had a day of atonement atonement where they sacrificed and God forgave them of their sins. He had to intervene for the sin that they could not be cleansed of themselves. I already talked to you about Jehoshaphat and Nineveh. King David pleaded for God's healing touch over a son that was ill because of a sin David committed. And look what he says in 2 Samuel 12, 22. As David fasted, he replied, I fasted and I wept while the child was alive, for I said, perhaps the Lord will be gracious to me and let the child live. There's something about that passage that stirs me. One is that David humbly sought the Lord for forgiveness and mercy in a situation where he was told his child would die due to an adulterous affair. He still humbled himself. And you know what? At the end of it, the child still died. Fasting and prayer does not always intervene the way that you want it. God doesn't always intervene the way. But if you read Psalm 51 and you go back and look at his prayer that he prayed to the Lord during this time of repentance, what you find is during that time of prayer and fasting, the intervention that God had wasn't intervening on the situation. It was intervening in David's heart. The intervention wasn't changing the circumstance with a child that was going to die and started to live. He took someone who was far from God and he brought him back to God. That was the intervention. You may be here thinking about an intervention that you need God to move for on your behalf because it's a circumstance and maybe God will intervene for you in that time. But can I also tell you, you might feel dead spiritually this morning or hopeless spiritual this morning or feel like there's no hope in the situation that you're in or you're just stuck in some place, that could be an opportunity for God to intervene in your life, not in someone else's. And if you're looking for God to intervene in a situation, in a marriage, in a relationship, in a financial situation, in an addiction or a struggle, or anything that's on your mind that you just continue to say, Lord, I keep hitting my wall on this. I need you to break through this because I have tried with a lot of effort and it does not happen. 
Spiritual breakthroughs require spiritual muscle. And sometimes the only breakthrough that you can receive is when you choose to fast and pray. And then it's no longer you doing it in your own strength or me doing it in mine. It's God doing it in his. The last thing I want to mention this morning is not just wisdom and intervention, but it's this third, it's empowerment. When we fast, why do we fast? We fast for empowerment or to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we just heard this morning during our announcements that this weekend there'll be a three-night opportunity for our children to come and to hear more about the Holy Spirit and how to receive the Holy Spirit, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live with the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, that's not just something that applies to kids. We need to not just know about the Holy Spirit, but we need to allow him to to live in our lives. We need to let him have permission to shape us and change us. And and sometimes we can spend our whole year drying out in the sun, getting hard because of things that have happened to us or disappointments or struggles or grief, hardship. And we can get hard in these worlds. And when we get hard, we become forms that, that don't flex anymore and they don't move. And the Holy Spirit wants to come in like a rushing waterfall. And he wants to saturate every part of us and he wants to soften us again so that when God chooses to mold us again, he has something that's moldable and not something that's rigid and unbreakable. Does that make sense? We need that. And you might be here this morning going, well, I've heard about this or I I, I understand what you're saying, but, but are you willing to take a step in prayer and fasting to let God show you what he wants to change in you? Because sometimes the reason why, and this isn't always, but sometimes the reason why we don't have more of the Holy Spirit working in us is because there's no room in our lives for him to work. But maybe he is working in your life. And maybe you just want more. Pray and fast. Because you can always have more of the Holy Spirit. You can always have a greater measure of the Spirit. The scripture says Jesus Christ was the only one where the Spirit of God was given without measure. The fullness of the Holy Spirit walked in him. The fullness of God, the fullness of man, and he walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If you're looking for more of the power of God to walk through difficult things in your life, and you need the power to walk through these things that you don't think you can do in your own strength because there are things we cannot do in our own strength, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray and fast with us during these next 14 days. Seek God for empowerment to break the chains of the things that you think are unbreakable. In Luke chapter 4, 1 through 2, Scripture says, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert where the devil tempted Jesus for 40 days. You know what he was doing during that 40 days? He was fasting. Jesus ate nothing during that time, and when those days were ended, he was very hungry. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of of the Spirit, and stories about him spread all throughout the area. I kind of look at it like the idea of like our lives are a vessel or like a bathtub, and when we choose to fast, we're taking all the impurities and we're taking all the distractions out, and we're turning on that major drain to just let us our lives just kind of drain, drain, drain of all the things that are distractions. And during this time where we refocus and we retool, we're giving God this huge, this huge... Um, capacity or this huge cavern to fill with him, with his presence, not just with stuff or distractions, but with him. And Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness before he ever started his public ministry, walking through the doors of humility, 
so that God could fill him even stronger so that he was ready for the moment that he would be used in this world being prepared for the mission that he had. This morning, if you want to be empowered, are you willing to go through that and believe what God can do in you and through you? The last thing I want to show you this morning is not just the why, but it's the how. It's the practical how and what it should look like. And there's a beautiful passage in Isaiah 58, verses 3 through 10, where Isaiah paints a picture God paints a picture through the prophet Isaiah of why the nation of Israel, though they were practicing fasting, were not seeing any results from their fast. So we're going to pull little excerpts out of it. I'm just going to briefly touch on it this morning because just because it was in the Old Testament doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us. You see the same principles in the New. But it's one passage, and I think he does a great job explaining it, and I just want to share this with you. Israel's confused, and they ask this question beginning in verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say? And you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, here's the response you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. See what's happening here? What he's saying is your fasting may be changing your physical um, habits, but it's not allowing God to change your heart. Because it's not about a hunger strike. God is not impressed by going on a hunger strike. And he says that. All of these things you're doing, you can't fast as you do and expect your voice to be heard. Verse 5, he says, Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? And then he gives us a beautiful picture of what real fasting does. To loose the chains of injustice. To untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then he goes on, verse 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Fasting is not about going without food, church. It's about emptying ourselves so that we can begin to look more like Jesus. That's the purpose of why we do it. And I want to encourage you, if you're at a place this this year and you're saying, I'm ready to go, walk it. Set your goals. Talk to God about what you can do. I can promise you, you'll never, ever, ever get to the depths of what he has for you. If you want 10, he'll give you 10. If you want 1,000, he has 1,000. If you want 20 million, he can go 20 million. He's a creator of the universe. It doesn't matter what you're looking for. There's never an end to his goodness, his love, and his empowerment. But you might just be looking for one in the next couple weeks. One step. A half a step. Maybe you just want to get up off the floor. And you're saying, I just need something. Can I tell you? You don't need to look at the person next to you who's ready to run a marathon. You just need to look at yourself and God 
and know that during these next couple of weeks, if you choose to give to him what you can give because it means something to you and to empty yourself for what he has for you, I promise you he will respond. You know what I love about that? Is that I can say that all day long if I want to because I know that God's word reveals that. It doesn't mean he gives us the answer the way that we need it or in the moment that we want it, but he does respond. Sometimes after the two weeks or the three weeks or whatever time you do this, during this time, whatever it looks like, you get answers in the middle of it. Sometimes it's right after. Sometimes it's six months later. Who knows? This is a God thing between you and him. The most important thing is that when he sees hearts that are surrendered to him and not to themselves, he's all the more willing to flood your heart with his love and his presence. Are you willing to consider that this week as we prepare over the next week? Or are the things around you, are the things around you vying for your appetite and for your priorities more than the things that God has. Here's what I know in the world that we live in. I'm tired and tired of hearing people in our community and our culture criticize how the church fails at this and the church fails at that and the church fails. And you know what? There's truth in that. There's a lot of things that the American church has done, which I think we probably should not have done. And there's actions that we have. And there's a version of Christianity that's been perverted that doesn't really look like real Christianity because of the American consumerism that we have in our world. But the culture in the world wants us to throw it out and says it's not valid. Jesus wants to redeem it. He wants us to look and say, all that stuff, okay, let people be imperfect and let them be sinful and let them do whatever in that. If you choose to seek me, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to walk in a relationship with me, make it count and are intentional with me. When you choose to do that, you will find yourself will be filled. I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come. And I want to encourage you to consider this morning what this could look like for you. What would it look like for you this morning if you grow closer to God? Two things I would ask you to consider. One would be, what is your plan? And then the next thing is, what is your posture? As you use this next week to really actively consider how you can walk this journey out with us, and be supported by others around you and get ready for what God wants to do in your life this year? What is your plan? We already talked about preparation. The plan is the most important thing that starts with being intentional. He's the king of the universe, church, right? Be intentional. Think about the things as you talk with him. God, what is it that you want me to strip from my life? What do you want this to look like? A fast doesn't mean you have to go without meals for 14 days straight. It means during this 14-day window, you have an opportunity to walk with others who are doing the same thing, seeking God for the whole community of fellowship of believers and for themselves. What does God ask you to do in your preparation? And don't think about or worry about what the person next to you is doing. If you want to walk with someone else because God's put it on your heart to do that, then do that. But if the person next to you is doing A, B, and C, you can do D, E, and F. So what's your plan? Ask God to give you wisdom to put together plans. I think in my heart that if you're walking in relationship with Jesus, you already know there are some things that the Holy Spirit's been telling you needs to change. I think all we need to do in the stillness of our own space is to say, Lord, search me as we do for communion and teach me what needs to change. And God will begin to speak with us through the Holy Spirit to say, here are some adjustments. And then the second thing is not just the plan, it's the posture the posture of your heart? What is your attitude towards God? You might be listening to this and thinking, I'm ready to go. Great, do it. 
Or you might be here saying, I've done this a hundred times and nothing ever changes. It's okay. You know what? You can be honest with God about that because he already knows that you think that way. But let your attitude towards God be like the story of the man in the New Testament that came with the ill servant and asked the Lord to heal him. And Jesus said, okay, I'll go. And he said, no, you're a man of authority. You can speak the authority and it'll happen where you are and it'll happen and it happens. Where the man that came to him and says, I need you to give a supernatural touch in this situation. And the man's response was, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus is real. He knows what your questions and your hesitancies are. Is your posture towards God an attitude of humility, expectation, He's just looking for open hands and he's looking for us to come to a place where we say, will you be the center of who I am right now? I need you to be the center. Worship team's just going to sing this chorus and I'm going to invite you. You can either sit where you are, you can stand and worship with them or you can come to the altar just as we begin. And next week we're going to spend a little bit more time of intentionality of just seeking the Lord and worship at the end of the service. But if you want to come up for prayer or if you want to sit where you are, we're going to take a few moments during this song and invite the Lord to be the center of who we are. One of the best ways that we can reorder our world is through prayer and fasting, and that makes Jesus the center of who we are. So Lord, I just pray if you would just bless us, please, as we come to you. Meet us where we are. Open our hearts to you. Speak to us, Lord, as only you can. In Jesus' name.